Hello and welcome to Motoring First. And this is a very serious conversation that we're going to have. Particularly heavy on my heart because um, I didn't get to go out and meet this motorcycle. Because Shubhi was out riding the 390 Duke. Tough one. So I'm told that I compare every motorcycle to the 390 Duke and today I'm in trouble because uh, that's the motorcycle we're going to talk about. So what are you going to do? You're going to be talking 390 Duke constantly. But, but we solved this. So in the studio with us today is me, Rishabh and Karthik. All three of us have had a chance to ride the 390 Duke. In fact, if you take the track environment, Karthik actually put a lot more laps than me. On the street, I think I have the most miles. Yeah. So we've got a fairly large database of uh, 390 information. Why, have, why are we smiling so much? <laughs> because I said I didn't get to go ride the bike. And it was true. They were going to go ride it. And I was like, I'm not going to come there and watch. Okay. I'm not going to do that. It's a 390. It's a track. All of that. And then somehow these guys, Rishabh and Shomi made it happen that I got some time with the bike. And as it turned out, I got a fair bit of time. And All right. So let me ask you the first question. Big change? Yes or no? Yes. Improvement? Yes. Value for money? Massive. Thrilled? Blown. Okay, so that sets the tone of what's going to happen next. Shall we get into the details then? Okay. Okay. You had more time with the motorcycle to take it in. I didn't get any time like that, you know, to sit and just really look at it. What did it feel like when you first saw it? I just noticed that there's one blue and there's one orange and that's about it. KTM's designs are not to everyone's taste. This Duke 390 will also not be to everyone's taste. And this is what they're going to do for the 200 and the 125 Dukes as well. So just like when the RCs came out, there was a big stir about saying, oh, that looks ugly. And then the GP edition sort of fixes it with the dark screen. Right. I think we're going to adapt to how this bike looks. But can I call it classically good looking? Hmm. No. My feeling is, uh, I saw it for the first time and I thought of somebody with a winter coat with a really high collar. Uh. Or maybe a Dracula type of person with a really high collar. That's how long and high those uh, tank extensions have become. Yeah. And KTM have done the uh, boomerang style uh, LED DRLs on the side, but they've not packaged it with the headlight. They flank the headlight and there's a gap in the middle. And my first reaction was, that's where the dust is going to go and sit. Uh. And I'm not sure how easy it will be to keep the Duke clean in those little, little details. Uh. But it looks bigger. It looks expensive. Uh, the orange is a little too orange for me, honestly, because mm. that entire tank shroud is orange, the tank itself is orange, and the seat is orange. Uh. So it's a little too orange for me. It's a KTM color, and I know, and I also think that sometimes they overdo it. And I think the Duke 390 is an example of how to overdo orange. Mm. So they've been enjoying playing with the uh, interplay between gloss orange and matte orange, which on the GP edition RC390 actually looks very good. I think on the Duke, it looks like too much orange. Just to put a fine point on it, when we were bringing the bike into the studio, uh, the footage that you're going to see throughout this motoring first. They gave us the blue one saying, you're going to take it to the studio. So that should tell you that it's not just us feeling like it's too much orange. I think it is a little bit too much orange. Right. Now, uh, importantly, KTM's always, I mean, not always, started off being great value and that kind of deteriorated over time. And along with that, one of the things that's remained a constant is that the great value, so we overlooked a lot of things, like it didn't feel always, you know, high quality, not everywhere. Right? How much has that changed, if it has? I think it has changed. Like the KTM switchgear, like my KTM's engine kill switch is not red. It hmm. sort of approximates red and it really annoys me nine years later. So obviously, this is a big issue for me. But now you've gotten new switches. They do feel more premium. The quality of the plastics has gone up. 
um, there is a slightly weird design for the uh, five way buttons or whatever you call it to operate the menus mm. with but fundamentally the clickiness of the switches etc gone up right the levers mm. they are slightly better quality the adjustment mechanism better quality we were always saying adjustable suspension why can it not be standard in india well adjustable suspension is standard uh the uh, aluminum subframe at the back right now i was asking why suddenly you've got a aluminum subframe tvs has an aluminum subframe and they were saying it's just that the cost of casting aluminum has become closer and closer and closer to tubular steel all right the irony of it is that as much as aluminum has material advantages mm. over iron and steel the steel trellis subframe was actually lighter than the cast aluminum subframe so they haven't actually lost weight on the subframe using aluminum yeah, it's cooler to look at for sure uh, and it raises your sense of premium of, of the bike yeah. visually but that's not where they've lost weight oh yeah interesting it, yeah it's sort of like whoa really and when you were talking about the changes the one thing the only thing that stuck in my head from my time on the bike was oh the engine kill switch and all actually looks red now it looks properly red yeah anyway so where have they saved weight so the engine itself is larger now it's 398.63 cc it says so on the engine case so it's 399 cc effectively but it's 1 kilo lighter than before mm. the fundamental change inside the engine is that the stroke has gone up by 4 mm still not a long stroke engine it's an over square engine it's less over square than before which is why they're able to make a little bit more torque but it has as much to do with the displacement and the tuning as it has to do with the bore and stroke change mm. so don't assume that just because the stroke is longer the ktm will make more torque i don't think that's actually how, what's happened okay. the fit fundamental engine is larger and lighter okay from the rc390 the wheels and the brake combination has come over that's accounts for almost 2 kilos of weight okay if you remember in the faq series we done a series on pointless accessories for the 390 duke and the hand guards that ktm used to give when the splatter mm. guard were in there well that's a weight saving on this bike because they don't exist so there is no hand guard and there is no splatter guard and that's another place where they saved it and remember the splatter guard was mounted on the swing arm right. so it was moving unsprung rate it was under the spring so obviously between the wheels brakes and that there is quite an impact okay so net you're about 4 kilos under although that's curb weight there was some confusion about the european website listing the same weight as dry and india was listing as curb we've confirmed that the european website was an error they've taken that number down it is 168 kilos curb weight wow but it has a 15 liter tank remember so it's carrying more fuel and still 4 kilos under so the bike is actually even lighter than the, just the 4 kilo claim wow that's impressive that's very impressive especially given that 2 and some 2 kilos and something is coming from the wheels and brake setup mm. right which is under the springs so the thumb rule is that's 3 times so if they've saved 2 kilos there it will feel like the bike is 6 kilos lighter on its own so it's a much lighter machine than before right but because they've got the bigger engine they're able to make more torque earlier so torque is up to newton meters but it's 500 rpm earlier the power is also up 2 and 1/2 bhp which doesn't sound like a lot but that's also happening 500 rpm but it's got more torque earlier in the rev range more power lighter it all adds up and i just finished the gearing also the gearbox has the same gearing as before of six gears no changes there but the final drive ratios have been adjusted okay okay so the, what they've done is 15 uh, tooth front sprocket gone down to 14 okay which means more acceleration less top speed mm. and at the back they used to have a 45 tooth sprocket now it's a 43 okay so the rated top speed now is 155 okay so anybody who's complaining about oh the old one used to do 170 it's very difficult to do 170 i mean i've done it at the race track a lot but in oh, that's the indicated. condition yeah I, no indicated bhi chodo i'm saying even if it genuinely does 170 
where are you going to use it right uh, the function of that 170 is only how calm can it make a 100 out on the highway hmm. so for me 170 155 we are in the same ballpark hmm. but obviously this bike is much bigger right because uh, should we talk about the riding the bike let's talk no, about because of the speed because a 155 what did you see on the straight so we were both uh, seeing 168 169s on the bajaj uh, track uh, and honestly he got a lot more laps so mm. he had more time to settle into the bike i got basically 5 in those 5 i managed to find the confidence to wind it up to 168 before going to the last corner of the bajaj track and it felt completely unstressed and unstrained doing that um so if you remember the older ktms they had a sense of strain they were not unstrained engines but it didn't get worse as you get faster so that was what it did this bike actually feels a lot calmer and a lot more like i got this <laughs> and you know it the authority with which does a 80 or a 100 or a 120 it remains more or less in the same ballpark going 168 when he rode the bike we rode them on two different days right uh when he rode the bike uh, he just told me yeah you'll do about a uh he managed to do whatever 168 169 uh so i usually assume that i will be at least 5 7 kmph off because i'm much heavier right so the next day when i was riding it i i just and he told me the only thing is you're a little short on space that you can't push back enough so you actually scooched up onto the pillion seat hmm. so when i was on the straights that's all i did i just pushed back onto the pillion seat crouched and went for it 168 169 168 169 if you're not really focusing 165 so yeah. with my weight if it could do that consistently yeah. again and again it says something about the kind of performance yeah. in this bike and the performance has changed dramatically so out on the street uh this motorcycle if you remember the old ktm 6000 rpm is where the motorcycle sort of wakes up with both eyes before that it's sort of doing its thing it's easier to ride below 5000 rpm now Mm. I'm not going to say it's thrilling to ride below 5000 rpm but it's not slow below 5000 but you will feel some amount of vibration it's not like a high frequency buzz it's more like a thumper like it's going on right 5000 rpm the bike wakes up whereas earlier 6000 rpm is where the bike wakes up and then it really goes and the more revs you bring the less there is vibration yeah so once again ktm has pulled out their usual uh, different sensibility in motorcycling by making a motorcycle that the faster you go the better it feels yeah. the slower you go the more it encourages saying maybe you want to do this a little <laughs> bit faster so uh, after a while i found myself running lower and lower gears through traffic obviously i don't worry about fuel economy too much but mm. i started using lower and lower gears to keep the revs higher and higher so that i'd feel more connected to the experience and have less vibes but 115 kilometers at fairly high speeds i came into the office with my hands properly buzzed and tingling mm -hmm. so as a tourer there is vibration that you're going to have to deal with deal breaker no but could ktm possibly have fixed it i think they should have so if you look at the 2013 generation 1 models they had some amount of rawness to it the 2017s were very smooth this has gone back to being a little bit more raw in that sense so there is more performance it does feel more urgent it does accelerate harder it feels a little wilder mm. in a very sophisticated way but there is some amount of vibration yeah but the good news is the quick shifter is now standard and it works right so now in the world of just street riding you have lot more aids now to use right uh as standard again yeah so um, the imu is a standard part of the package and therefore cornering abs etc 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 is all their traction control you name it it's all there are they adjustable are there any because i really didn't mess around uh, with it honestly i didn't mess with much of it either so i'm not sure that there are levels here mm. but i think at the level of the 390 i don't even i'm not actually expecting much adjustability there 
it's got three modes uh-huh. the rain mode cuts some amount of power and torque ktm has not told us how much power and torque it's cutting i don't know what the big secret is but there is a secret there obviously the street and the track modes are basically identical full power full response delivery yeah. so it's not like the street mode is a little bit calmer and the th- uh, track mode is wilder it's the same mode but the settings are a little bit different so in track mode you get launch control they Correct. mentioned wheelie control in the briefing but it's nowhere in the documentation so i'm going to assume there is no wheelie control they explain what wheelie control is basically it will avoid the front wheel only in launch control it doesn't otherwise yeah, work nothing so during launch it can control a wheelie otherwise yeah. it can't control a wheelie and uh, apart from basically that, the screen layout is different in uh, yeah the screen layout is different and they've put a lot of options on the bike mm-hmm. but the way to access them is very clunky mm-hmm. okay because to change from track mode to street mode you basically have to either slow down or stop mm-hmm. then go into the menus and click 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 until you can change the mode which seems kind of counterintuitive right right so uh, the more options you get on a motorcycle you have to resist the temptation to just stick them into menus because it's easy to do but the challenge really is how do i make it useful to the rider i'm not too worried honestly because the street and track mode don't do a big variation for you apart from the layout of the screen so it's not a big deal yet but tomorrow if this ktm were to have a 20 bhp rain mode mm. and let's say a 35 bhp uh, street mode or full pass street mode but very gentle throttle map and then a full aggressive track and it, and you'd like the rider to switch between them quickly then this playing with the menus and trying to get to it having to look down at the screen and all that it's just a terrible way to do it right so they've cleaned up the meet the dash they've they've cleaned up how it looks versus the old one which was cluttered and will throw all the information there is at you it's very well organized but now i'm struggling to deal with the menu system and there's quite a bit of stuff in the menus okay they've given us uh, adjustable suspension which usually would complicate life but uh, you said they yeah, actually- they've done something very clever there right so if you think about it preload could be set by a screw type device and it's infinitely adjustable preload right so which gives you a lot of granular control but also makes it harder for inexperienced riders to deal with right which is why five or seven step preload is easier to deal with so what ktm have done is they've got separate function forks so you've got compression and rebound five clicks each hmm. so you don't have a lot of settings to play with so i've said there is a scientific way to set up preload which is measure this measure that subtract this and it should be 30 35 mm whatever or it's seven setting yeah. pick one two settings in the soft direction and see what happens and if you like it you're probably going to need softer preload it's just a matter of figuring out which of the three clicks left are the right click in the same way you've got five steps of compression five steps of rebound take a notebook write down what you did and how it felt and i think in a matter of two or three weeks you'll know which setting works for you and is the rear uh, suspension adjustable yeah so you've got preload and rebound at the back and you've got compression and uh, rebound at the front so it is adjustable enough i think but this is not what we call fully adjustable fully adjustable would mean preload compression rebound at both ends that it does not get and uh, um, how much did you mess around with the settings i didn't have to i know why he's asking this question that's because all three of us rode this bike with adjustable suspension and over the 220 odd kilometers that we put on this bike none of us felt like we had to mess with it ktm has put us in a spot by saying you wanted adjustability here's adjustability and then we didn't adjust it <laughs> but but i promise you that when the bike comes for a road test and we have more time with it then we will mess with these settings because uh, if you see the video i'll link to it when i started working on my ktm 390 duke over those 9 years the biggest change i made was adjustable suspension and then adjusting it slowly over time to finding a setting that works for my pace my preference and my feeling for what i think is good suspension i don't know that you'll like it i love it mm. so to be able to fine tune that on a stock motorcycle i think it's a huge leap forward even though the base setup itself 
is a huge leap forward. Yeah. Uh, from my perspective, uh, I was really lucky to get a lot of time on the track. And I kept saying to myself that this is going to start giving up at some point, right? Because, you know, the pace is going up, the tires are getting hotter, the track is getting hotter, all of that. And heartbreaking, all right. Change of directions, all right. And the old KTMs, I mean, if you didn't have the suspension, right? Like, uh, I mean, the rear suspension, if you hadn't at least bumped up the preload for a heavier rider like me, the bike would start to get loose real fast, right? It would start squirming under you and all of that in corners when you're throttling. Yeah, so what I really enjoyed about this KTM is that it just sort of does all the things that we expect the 390 Duke to do at a very high level. So refinement, I have some concerns, but they're not major concerns. It handles very well. So they've tightened the steering angle by half a degree. Trail okay. is down, so it steers quicker. You've got a lighter machine with more torque, so all the responses are better. But the suspension itself is also better. So together, it comes together in a bike that flicks very smoothly. I can't call it super quick because there are bikes like the Charisma which snap into lean angles. The KTM doesn't do that. I can't call it lazy either because it's just not. So it's more or less doing exactly what you think it should. Again, at a very high sophistication level. In that sense, this bike is just such a step up, even from uh, generation two, definitely from generation one. So in the corners, you're going to love it. The weak point again is tires, but it's not as bad as it was the last time, right? They're still Metzelers, they are H-rated, and uh, we were told that the tires have been updated slightly for this machine, but they were told that these tires are exactly the same as the previous machine. So either the suspension and the chassis are making more out of this tire, or the tire has changed, I'm not sure which. I can tell you this, you can go very, very, very much faster than before without these tires creating any kind of movement that you'd consider uh, unnatural or unsettling. At the limit, they do have some amount of movement. And to me, if you put this KTM on Eurogrip Protoc Extremes or uh, Apollo H1 or a Road 5 or a M9RR, M7RR, they are all fantastic tires. Or the same M5 is in W rated. Uh, M5W rated is not just hard to get. Mm. No, I'm saying it, it, yeah. just like for like. It's just hard to get. So I'm saying if you buy a 390 Duke, mm. don't worry about these tires. Wear them out. Uh, when they're worn out, don't get these tires. Again, you can do better than this. Right. To me, the top of that list today in terms of price to grip is clearly the Eurogrip Protoc Extreme. Below that is the H1. And if you're willing to spend on an on a imported or a branded set, then M7, M9 and uh, Road 5. Uh, are all super great tires. Right. The Protoc Extreme is just an epic tire in the dry and the wet. It will make this Duke absolutely sing because to me, the chassis is still held back primarily by the tires and you have to be riding at a very high level to access that level of performance. It's, it's brilliant, actually. On the brakes, the hardware is the same as the RC390, but the uh, master cylinder design has been updated. Oh, really? No performance advantage as such. But that was a slightly older design. This is a slightly newer design. But they're saying in terms of what it does on the brakes, the feedback you get, there is no change. I honestly didn't have a complaint on the braking system. I think you had it. Yeah. So just as a quick, uh, I mean, I enjoy talking about it. So the disc brakes on this are different, like the same as the RC. So you'll notice that they have a much larger diameter, but they're slimmer. So what that basically does is, I mean, the way and the way it's carried on the wheel, basically that helps save weight. But the big advantage is because that's such a large rim running around, it cools better. So it gives you more consistent braking and along with uh, the lighter wheels, all of it is lighter, which means steering becomes better, hmm. right? So I, and I've ridden the RC hard. So it was a bit surprising that this at the end of the back straight, when I was going to turn that left, fast left, was getting on the brake to lose hmm. some speed. 
I did find that I was getting fade. Some fade. Yeah. So I had one run where I went into the runoff area. Mm. At other points, I realized that I'm not getting as much as I wanted. It could be with this bike. I don't know something. I don't think anybody on the street is going to experience that though. No, I don't. I mean, from a, even despite that, I was pushing that bike hard every, everywhere else. Hmm. It was just that one place hmm. where I had to take a bit of care. But everywhere. That's else. the one place where you're nearly breaking from top speed down to what, 110-ish. It was, I mean, it's, it was practically locked at that point, yeah. right? You were at 168, one, whatever, right? So that's flat out with me on it. So I'm not complaining about that. It's just that it was unexpected. Hmm. That's it. And the entry of the bowl, 160 year entry. Yeah. Work. Yeah. So no, I mean, it's not something I'm going to be worrying about. Right. And I'll look out for it when I ride the bike the next time mm. uh, to see if it happens at any point, right? Mm. When you're doing that. But you brought up one thing, which the chassis, right? I go kind of speechless whenever I start thinking about what the bike is doing. Mm. Maybe you want to... I, I, I can't do speechless, honestly. <laughs> but you have to understand what this KTM represents and what they've managed to pull off because it has implications on other bikes now, right? So you've got a larger engine, but you've also got more ground clearance than before. They've got an underbelly exhaust, which causes the swing arm to be slightly asymmetric, but you've got lower seat height also in the process. Oh, we didn't talk about that. Right? So it's a bike that has compacted itself in the vertical dimension. I would extrapolate that straight to the upcoming adventure. Of course. So as soon as you look at that bike, you're going to get a motorcycle that is, on the one hand, less seat height but more ground clearance. So you've fixed one big problem with the adventure. This bike has more torque, so you can get the feeling that you needed to go off-road a lot easier with this engine configuration, with this chassis configuration than you would be able to earlier. And I would say KTM will probably go back to a steel subframe for the adventure bike because then you have to account for luggage and pillion and all of that. So it has a more load-carrying requirement. So if you were to extrapolate from there, this engine should lead to a very nice adventure bike. On an RC, that would another be epic bike again because it's just easier to ride this bike faster. And the suspension quality has gone up from what the current RC has, which is I think due in two years though. So the cycle should be Duke now, RC's uh, last and adventure in the middle. But if this engine goes there and does these things, it'll be epic. So um, coming back to the chassis, the thing is, last time we were, I mean, last time that we were at the track was with the RCs and that's the sport bike, right? And that's the one that does the track stuff yeah. beautifully. And I remember I got off that bike and I said, it doesn't feel like it's a motorcycle that I've already ridden before, right? It's an update, yeah. whatever. It felt like it had unlocked a new level. Yeah. It right? was so easy to go fast on the RC. Yeah. This feels, I mean, basically, it, I can't add it up. It doesn't make sense what yeah. this bike is doing. What that chassis, and in this is the chassis that just feels magical. Yeah, it's so good. It is so good. I agree. So the engine, I think, could be improved further. If they had got a tighter control over the vibration, for example. I don't know what the fuel economy on this bike is yeah. going to be like, etc. But if they could get that engine's vibration to be calmed down, this would be a great engine. But this chassis is just another level of brilliance. It's just easy. So I came out onto the street and I rode through the traffic that you get on the way from the Chakan plant out to the highway and I left it in higher gears just to see what would happen. That's where I discovered the some amount of vibration. Am I uncomfortable with it? No, but I expect that the larger 390s, uh, the larger Dukes have some amount of vibration. It's okay. Mm. But I was able to get to 24, 23 kmph in third gear. Right. Then fourth gear. In fourth, it can't pull away from that speed. Right. But it can settle down in third stay steady and then when you open it pulls forward correct not gently but not 
super aggressively either. I enjoyed that. Mm. Then you come out on the highway and wind it up. And the first time you do it, you're not used to this motorcycle at all. You're instantly doing 125 or 135. Oh, wow, this is quick. Mm. Then you start to modulate down, modulate down. And then you realize 100 arrives so easily that they've really got that sense of strain out of this bike at what speeds you would normally see every day on the street. And that scares me a little bit. Right. Because it's such a high level of ability delivered with so much ease that if you think of the 390 Duke as a beginner motorcycle, I think you're making a mistake. The 125 Duke can be a beginner motorcycle. The 200 Duke can be a beginner motorcycle. The 390 is a very serious motorcycle. And anybody who has three, three and a half lakh rupees and are thinking of buying a 390 Duke, please take a moment and think about what your experience in motorcycling has been so far. If you've not ridden a 250cc or a 30bhp bike for a substantial amount of time, you're not ready for a 390 Duke. Mm. Right? And even, uh, so to take that, for more advanced riders or who have been riding for some time, there's a very nice parallel, of course. The first gen we used to call is the cheat code bike, right? Mm. Anybody could get on, no experience. And you could ride fast. You could do stupid, make mistakes and get away with it, right? Yeah. That bike allowed us to learn how to ride, right? It was yeah. that bike. It, like we always say, right? It reached out a hand to you and said, come along, hmm. right? Yeah, I'll it led you on, yeah. yeah? Whereas the second gen, the new Duke, and I own both of those, right? The new Duke, the second gen Duke, uh, became more of an expert's motorcycle. Yeah. It became way sharper, way quicker too. I mean, in terms of the way it steered and also the performance. Yeah. It was very exciting. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Hmm. But it also became a lot more to manage yeah. when you're riding really fast. Correct. If you made a mistake on that bike, chances of getting away smiling and saying, oh, that was a close one. Yeah were far lower. Correct. And I think a lot of people ran into that trouble very, very quickly, assuming that it would be just as easy and friendly mm. as the first gen. With the third gen, you're getting an amalgamation of the two. You're yeah. getting the safety net that the first gen cast Correct. in terms of its behavior and manners and uh, the sharpness of the second gen, mm. which is an incredible combination. And we, when we were talking about the tires, you had told me the new spec tires, right? So I went and saying, oh, I'll have more grip. So I was going for it, mm. right? Assuming that they are... Yeah, better, right. Did I have any trouble? Not really, no. I went on pushing through this fast left, which is, you really crank it over, you're in third gear at the lowest, and uh, when you start to push, it's fourth gear, and you go hard on the gas, you're on the gas throughout, the bike starts to get loose, and it kept on doing that. It started doing that small slide, small slide, okay, till one point where it actually stepped completely out and went for a high side, right? Uh -huh. It went till here and then it caught, right? Now, I want to think that it was me who controlled it, right? But it could be the electronics. But basis, what Shumi experienced, the electronics cut in abruptly. Hmm. So this time, it, on, the, on the basis of that, it was in the electronics. Then it has to be the tires, which means they're still performing at a fairly high level. Somehow this chassis is managing to make... Yeah. That's what I thought about it then. That is the suspension and the chassis that are managing to get a lot more out of them. Maybe. That's what I'm saying. So if you imagine upgrading this tire to a top-class tire, it, this bike will be insanely good, right? So I had two issues with the electronics. As much as there is traction control, it's a little abrupt. But ordinarily, I would not complain about abrupt traction control. It's, if you remember, the first generation ABS is a very abrupt ABS. It just doesn't feel nice to use. Right. But it's there and it works. So we've not complained about it. But the whole bike is so raw that you don't notice that the ABS is also raw, right? This bike is so highly finessed in so many other departments that when the traction control comes in with a very heavy-handed intervention, you notice it. It almost feels like an actual misfire. Hmm. So you'll be opening the throttle and suddenly be like, 
again. So there's a lot of uh, movement on the in terms of the suspension when traction control cuts in, and I'm hoping that KTM refines that further so that small interventions don't need to be such huge mm. suspension movements. So you can carry on with your life, right? And if it is really so it's required, like a cough and a stutter, impact yeah. Any. If it's really required, then you have a heavy-handed intervention. It would be right, mm. but every intervention shouldn't be heavy-handed. Mm. Similarly, the red line on the bike that we rode, I could never figure out where the red line would arrive. Mm. So you're on the move. You're past nine. At any point now, it will get interrupted. So at over my five laps, obviously that's not a lot of time, but over my five laps, I could never predict when the red line would cut me off. Mm. So there were corners where I would just short shift, knowing that the red line would interrupt me. Mm. Because look, there's so much talk now that you don't really worry about the last 2,000 revs. Yeah. Here and there, it's two, three kmph. It's okay. Earlier, the quick shifter wasn't working that well, so you'd get interrupted in other places, right? The quick shifter up and down, it works in both directions flawlessly. Uh, the at half throttle or less, it is a little bit jerky, as many uh, auto blippers are. But when you're going flat out, it just works. Mm. So you've got so much finesse in so many departments that these two things stand out to me. Obviously, we are over the moon with this motorcycle. Let me tell you the usability issues. It has a very few of them, but it does have them. Uh, wind blast should not be an issue. The meter console actually does a pretty decent job of protecting. Oh, really? So it shouldn't be too much of an issue. But if you're not regularly riding at 150 plus, like at a racetrack, wind blast shouldn't be an issue anyway, right? Anybody who's st doing steady 80s, steady 100s, steady 120s, wind blast honestly is more of a mental concern than a physical concern. It will not tire you out. Uh, tall, tall riders? Tall riders, that's what I'm coming to. Thank you. Tall riders will struggle with this bike a little bit. So I'm six foot tall and I had no space left to move front and back on this motorcycle, just like generation one. It's not restrictive. If you remember, gen one had a tank that went out and it stopped a place where your knees couldn't right. go any further. This bike has a lot of room there. So you'll be able to fit. But you'll not be able to squirm around because the seat is not that long anymore. So at the racetrack, if I scooched back a little bit, like to hang off, I'd immediately beep against the seat stop. On the straight to tuck in, I had a GoPro mounted for those five laps. And I couldn't get the helmet and the GoPro to sit before the screen. So I eventually had to go further and further back on the bike until Which I was helped me. literally properly sitting on the pillion seat and tucked in. So space is going to be a challenge. And whenever we say space is going to be a challenge, then touring itself as an extension of that becomes a small challenge. Now, if you think about it, you've got more ground clearance, you've got more torque, you've got more pulling ability, you've got a lot of electronics that work quite well, you've got great suspension, but you're going to lack space and there is some amount of vibration in the handlebar. So this could have been an amazing tourer, but it'll be just short of super great. I wonder why they didn't make it a better tourer. Hmm. <laughs> Also remember, there's a 15-litre tank now. And I don't think that's an accident because if you remember, this is an E20 compatible bike and ethanol mixed fuels will give you lower fuel economy. So you will see fuel tanks getting larger to accommodate so that you get similar ranges. Uh, globally, ethanol blended fuels are also cheaper than petrol so that even though you're getting less economy, you're filling more fuel, your overall maths remains in the same place. We don't know what India is going to do about that. But that's why you have a 15-litre tank. Until E20 comes, it will give you a range advantage. After E20 comes, it should return to what the 13.5 litre tank was doing for you. Oh, interesting. I hadn't thought about that. What I'm really kicked about is that despite all of the stuff that they've added to this bike as standard, despite the level at which all of this equipment is working, they have not gotten greedy yet. Hmm. So this bike is only 13,000 rupees more expensive than I the I think they've been generous. Bike. Yeah, but I don't think that that's going to last. 
So I think this is a price which gives gives you the idea of a 390 Duke back in your consideration set, mm. and then slowly this price will rise, and I think it will rise quite a bit in time. Okay, because today if you think about the TVS RTR 310 which just came out, yeah. if you add adjustable suspension and the IMU equipped electronics to it, which is about you same. get to more or less the 390 Duke's price, and I think the difference is seven or eight thousand bucks between the two, and which makes the RTR recommendable only to people who are not ready, we feel believe for a 46 bhp bike. Mm. Everybody else should just get a 390 Duke anyway. Right. It certainly makes the ZX4 RR at eight and a half lakh rupees ex showroom. I couldn't believe that was for real. Mm. That's how many Duke 390s again? <laughs> <laughs> well, almost three now. No, but look, if you're in the, the inline four-cylinder, 400 cc, 70,000 RPM, if that's your cup of tea, please go for it. I'm sure it's a great bike. But to me, I can imagine it as my eighth bike or ninth bike. I can imagine it as something that I would use. Mm-hmm. on a regular basis i just not spend that kind of money if i buy a any 3 and a half lakh rupee bike that means i have 6 lakh rupees left to travel with it and do stuff with it which is to me far more value than buying a motorcycle for that money so but we are getting distracted is there anything else about the oh yeah the the, the service and maintenance schedules remains exactly the same as before exactly the same it remains exactly the same as before no changes there amazing and ktm's uh, service and parts prices have never been expensive they're still not going to be expensive so in that sense this is going to be a pretty Value for money bike to live with for sure, even if the price starts to rise and and acquiring a three ninety Duke becomes more expensive. Also remember, we love three ninety Duke, so we keep an eye on this. But the arrival of the third generation should mean that the first generation bikes, which are already down to seventy thousand rupees, should become even cheaper hmm. in the used market. So if you've been looking for a three ninety Duke, first gens do well. They were pretty reliable. Are you planning to sell yours? No. Are you planning to put the forks on? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, if you've not seen the video uh, from uh, which we made about 9 years with my KTM I've done a lot of suspension work and I think my setup today is actually still superior to this new KTM's suspension setup but the forks are the weak link because I've got the stock forks with a preload kit so to me these wheels these brakes and these forks on my bike should improve my experience so I'm going to explore the option I think it should cost about 35 or 40000 rupees so it's not going to happen in a hurry but yeah it's definitely something I'll think about but should I upgrade from a first gen to a new gen 390 you could there is a step up for sure dramatic step up yeah but to me if you're upgrading you should be looking at something about two times the horsepower because then it is a genuine upgrade hmm. without it it's a change and it can be a great change but an upgrade to me is two times the horsepower and obviously you can only do that one or two times before you're looking for a 500 bhp bike so it's not like a arithmetic curve that lasts forever but at the beginning stages if you've ridden a 7 bhp bike your next bike to me should at least have 15 bhp it's an upgrade it will teach you a few things and give you enough headroom to grow into it for the next 3 or 4 years that you live with it then from that that you get to about 30 same logic from 30 you get to something like 60 after 60 you go to 120 bhp you're more or less done because from 120 to 150 to 170 to 180 is just a progressively more frightening curve and if you don't go to the race track you will have no access to any parts of that car for any serious amount of times so you won't be able to think about it so then it doesn't matter so any of you uh, nut jobs out there are thinking of modding a 390 get it up to 60 horsepower with this frame and with those pro talk tires and it'll be crazy and tell us what it's like yeah yeah it'll be crazy it'll be crazy yeah just to sum this up ktm have really really hit this one out of the park we have a few issues with the bike i don't think tall riders will like it all that much please take a test ride and figure out if that's the situation there is some amount of vibration in the bike i'm not going to say it's a deal breaker but i'm setting your expectation of a non smooth bike the faster you go the better it gets right uh, some of the electronic interventions are a little high uh, heavy handed you're not going to like them but that's what they are again expectation setting 
and the price is good today but if you're going to see this video six months from now and try to decide whether you want to buy one or not um, maybe you want to recheck the prices before you do and if you're watching and you're not in India then you should know India gets a 800 mm saddle as standard you guys are more likely to get the 820 mm saddle as standard and you have a spacer on the saddle that you can remove and convert it into an 800 mm motorcycle in India we don't get that spacer at all so if in India you wanted a slightly taller seat because you're taller and you want more space, you're going to have to buy the entire 820mm seat so again. I don't know what the prices are, but KTM is working this up. The bikes are otherwise identical. As far as I am told, these M5s are going on all the bikes. So the international bikes are not getting any other tires either. All right. So we are the same bike as anyone. The bookings are open and by the time you watch this, I think delivery should start. Because we were told that 17th September, these stories can go out. And that's roughly when the bikes will start arriving in showroom. So you should be able to get test rides uh, and delivery should start shortly after that. I got nothing to say. Okay, so if you've got any more questions on the KTM 390 Duke or on the 250 Duke, which we'll do a separate story on because we haven't written the 250 Duke yet, uh, leave us a comment. We try and answer almost all the comments we get. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. It's very rare that you will be able to experience magic first hand and be able to do magic and this bike will give you the opportunity if you have the opportunity to get one and go to a racetrack you absolutely must because so often why we fall in love with bikes is because how they show you what's i mean what's possible and then what you thought was impossible suddenly becomes accessible and this is one of those bikes so if you choose to get one make time make space in your life by way of money or whatever to just see what it can do. As you can see, we are pretty emotional about this new generation of the 390 Duke. They've really done a great job. Uh, if you'd uh, like to discuss it with us, leave us a comment. And what I ideally think you should do instead of leaving us a comment and discussing it with us is go get a test ride and then discuss it with us. Because then I think you'll be on the same page as us. Thank you so much for watching.